Welcome back to the award-winning Christian Outdoors podcast, the podcast where we discuss all things outdoors and how we can enjoy God every day. I'm thankful that you could join me here today at Christian Outdoors podcast, the fastest growing podcast in its genre. If you're new to Christian Outdoors podcast, thank you for joining us. Please tell your family and friends about us, subscribe to us, and make sure that you tune in every week because every Sunday we release a new episode here at Christian Outdoors. Also, if you haven't found our website yet, it's christianoutdoors.org. You can also contact me there directly at pete at christianoutdoors.org. I'm accepting opportunities now to come speak at churches and events for 2022. So if you have an opening and you need a guest speaker, please reach out to me. I'd love to come to your church or to your event. And lastly, if you'd like to be a part of Christian Outdoors Podcast and would like to partner with us here in 2022, then please reach out to me directly at Pete at ChristianOutdoors.org. We would love to discuss opportunities for you to partner with us as we spread this ministry out. We talk about all things outdoors and how we can enjoy God every day. And I would love for you and your company to be a part of this growth and this opportunity where we can use this podcast to reach a lot of people for the good news of Christ. This portion of the podcast is being brought to you by Outdoor Specialty Media Group. Outdoor Specialty Media Group produces three digital magazines every hunter, fisherman, and outdoorsman will want. Readers get free access to 16 issues per year of their favorite outdoor content, deals, and reviews on gear, with a special food section on cooking wild game and North American deer hunter, North American bow hunter, and North American outdoorsman. Check out their app by searching Outdoor Specialty Media for both Android and Apple devices. And thank you again for turning in this week on Christian Outdoors Podcast. This is episode number 129. This week on Christian Outdoors Podcast, I'm excited to have with me a friend of mine that I've known for several years. His name is Mr. Jay Butfoloski. Jay is a certified wildlife biologist for the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources in Columbia. He is the fur bear and alligator program coordinator responsible for supervising the wildlife permitting office and for the management of all fur bear species in South Carolina, as well as the coordination of the statewide alligator hunting programs. He has been with the department for over 23 years. Since 2004, Jay has served with the Southeastern representative of the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies Fur Bear Conservation Technical Working Group that's dealing with the current and emerging national and international fur bear resource issues national trap testing research, and trapping best management practices development. Jay has also served with the South Carolina chapter of the Wildlife Society's executive board since 2015. Previously, he worked for five years as a wildlife biologist for the United States Department of Agriculture in Savannah, Georgia, primarily working with suburban deer control and other wildlife damage management issues. Jay is a native of Greenville, South Carolina, and he received his Bachelor of Science and Master of Science degrees in wildlife biology from Clemson University. His graduate research in Clemson centered on studying black bear movements habitat in the mountains of South Carolina. Please welcome to Christian Outdoors Podcast, Mr. Jay Butfoloski. So Jay, once again, thank you so much for joining me here today at Christian Outdoors Podcast. Why don't you just kind of kick things off by telling the uh, audience a little bit about yourself? All right. Um, I grew up in uh, Greenville, uh, went to local high school there and uh, attended Clemson University. Uh, started out in computer science, ironically enough, um, and then uh, eventually transferred over into the wildlife program. Um, but I graduated from Clemson, uh, started work for USDA Wildlife Services in Georgia, stayed there for uh, five years, uh, then had a chance to come back to South Carolina in 99. And so, uh, you know, that got me here. I've been in the same office ever since. How about that? So did you go straight into your master's program at Clemson or did you take did. a break and then go back? So you went straight into it. Huh? I did go straight into it. Uh, uh, I graduated in May and, and started that fall in 90, 1990. Well, that's not a bad plan. That way you go ahead and get it knocked out, you know, as because uh, I know a lot of people will go to work for a few years and say, well, I really, really wish I'd have gone back, got my master's. And so they have to do it the long, slow, tedious way while they're working. And I work for the USDA Wildlife Services also. Sure. Different task, I believe uh, you were doing uh, urban deer management. I was. Okay. Okay. Something I've never even been participating right. in whatsoever. What was it that made you switch, Jay, from computer science to outdoors I'm, or, or to wildlife? What is it that kind of got you into the outdoors? Well, um, what got me out of computer science was trying to program Pascal on the mainframe. Um, <laughs> That's an, that's an easy decision there. <laughs> and uh, that wasn't going as well as I had hoped. Um, and I, actually, I ran across um, 
an ex-girlfriend of my ex excuse me ex-boyfriend of my sister's who was then uh, I think he was in the fisheries side of things okay. um, at Clemson. It wasn't called fisheries and wildlife at the time. It was economic zoology, and I, I don't know where that term came from, but that's what it was. So, so it wasn't something that's easily found in the the course guidebooks. No, I never and, would have looked under the no. in, under economics <laughs> for for wildlife degrees or fisheries or anything. And, and yeah. so, it, it, you know, it was in the biological sciences, but you know, economic zoology was just kind of a, a weird term. Um, and so, you know, he's he told me what he was doing, and I was like, that's pretty neat. Um, uh, I think he was more on the fisheries side, but then, then I, eventually I changed majors. And about that time, they, they transferred or they changed the name to, at the time, uh, Aquaculture, Fisheries, and Wildlife Biology. Okay. And so I eventually changed majors, and, and, and things got markedly better for me um, grade-wise and, and otherwise. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was one of these things that it just it, it felt like what I was meant to do. Okay, okay. So when you start taking those classes, it just, it just resonated with you. I mean, I really like this stuff. This yeah. is really, really yeah. fascinating. And, you know, when I go and do some of the labs over at Clemson university, which I do with the, with the USDA, uh, is I tend to do one of the lectures on careers in outdoors because, right. you know, I have a very different path than a lot of people. And one of the things I notice is I always ask the, the people in there, you know, of the students, it's usually about 30 or so. Uh, how many are forestry, how many are wildlife, how many are fisheries, et cetera, et cetera. And then I asked the, the people that's doing wildlife, I said, uh, why, why did you pick this? They almost always say either, A, I want to be a game warden, yeah. or, or B, I want to work with DNR. And I, and I educate them real quick, say, you know, those jobs are few and far between because when people get them, they don't leave. Uh, right? That tends to be correct. That tends to be correct. Because <laughs> I mean, because you've been there, what did you say, 23 years? Yes. And Charles, on the, who's one of your counterparts, yep. Charles Ruth, is in charge of the Turkey and Deer Project. He's been there close to 30, isn't it? I think he's uh, 27, 28. Yeah, those jobs are hard to come by because of that. But there's a lot of other avenues that we won't. There are. You know, we won't digress into into the different, uh, although that may be a good podcast of right. careers in the outdoors. Um, but did you grow up hunting and fishing or, or are you just more interested in the biology side of it? Well, I did. Um, uh, interestingly enough, it was my uncle who lived uh, across the street, or as they'd say in the South Caddy Corner from us, let me get it right, Martinsville, Virginia. Okay. And he hunted and fished all his life. And he hunted and fished, um, it seemed like, all the time. Mm. Um, uh, conversely, my father grew up in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And uh, he did not hunt and fish all his life. Right, right. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I had some cousins who were close to my age. And so I, I, I essentially tagged along with my uncle um, and and did a lot of things, uh, especially hunting and fishing related. Okay. Um, was okay. never a great fisherman myself, although my uncle was. Uh, but I did like the hunting aspect a lot more of it. And so that yeah. that kind of piqued my interest. Mm -hmm. uh, in the field. Right. I think a lot of people ask me, I'm sure you get the same question of how did you get your job? How did you get your job with USDA? How did you get your job with, with the DNR? And so I'm just curious, I mean, from your side, going from USDA to DNR, uh, how, how are those jobs? Uh, how do they come about number one and, and two, um, what is it about it that has kept you there so long? Well, you know, um, when I was in graduate school or getting close to, to hopefully finishing, you know, I started looking at uh, applying for jobs. And at least in this field, um, you often need to go somewhere else before you can, quote, come home. Yes. Because, you know, I grew up in Greenville, but, uh, you know, other than, and other than game worn positions, we really don't have any people on the biological side in Greenville. Right. Uh, we do right. have a Clemson office and some people in the Clemson office. Um, but again, as you had mentioned, those jobs, you know, there's not a lot of uh, biologists on our staff, um, and especially on the, the, the more game or traditional 
wildlife side. And so you do have to wait for those positions to come open. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so again, I, w- I was applying, I think I applied to Florida, Oregon, to North Carolina, you know, anybody that had positions open. Right, um, right. And I did, I did get an interview with uh, USDA in Georgia, um, drove over to Athens uh, to interview there, and eventually got that position. I think I finished actually before I got my, completed my degree. Um, but, uh, so I was able to start working there. Um, I was there for five years when the position, at least at the time, it was a fur bearer slash small game biologist position, mm-hmm. kind of an assistant to the project leaders. And again, it was one of those situations, somebody retired, people moved up, uh, position came open, right. um, and I applied for it and was able to, to, to quote, sort of come back home. Yeah, yeah. You know, and again, it was one of those things that you kind of grew up in, in uh, because I grew up in South Carolina, you know, and at least in this field, this was kind of the the employer most people wanted to come work for. Right, right. Um, well, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I, uh, I tell people all the time, I say, when they're asking me about jobs with the USDS, just get your foot in the door. Right. Find find something and get your foot in the door. And And like you said, typically, if you want to advance, you have to move. Yes. Uh, and, and sometimes move more than once in order yes. to <laughs> in order to get to where you want to be. And uh, that's just that's just the nature of the beast. But that's not unlike a lot of other jobs and other fields True. as well. True. But uh, it seems that people just don't want to do that. They're not willing to to uh, uproot and move temporarily, you know, three, four five years and then move on to something else. But that's really what you got to do. A lot of times I was very fortunate with my job in that when I learned this job even existed, uh, it was the first position in Greenville with USDA. And I found out about it the day before the job closed. (laughs) And 10 days later I had the job. So I was, and and I've been here for 11 and a half years and it's just been rocking along really, really nice for me, but I was fortunate. I didn't have to move. I happened to live here and the job came open and, and I was able to get it. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, but your, your position with DNR, which I find ironic, you now talked about this many times, it's just your fur bear and reptile, you know, that you're in charge of all the fur bears in South Carolina and the alligator program. And the focus of this conversation for today's podcast is going to be the alligator program. And it's, uh, there's just a lot about it that, that fascinates me personally. And I think it will fascinate some of the, some of the listeners as well. Um, so let's get some history on that, Jay. When did the alligator hunting program begin in South Carolina? The the public alligator hunting program that we're you know, that you're probably more familiar with began in 2008. Okay, which was I, when our first lottery system. Man, took time place. flies. It's yes, been that it long. <laughs> Good gracious! I was thinking because I didn't research it because I thought I knew it was around 12 or 13, but it was no. 2008. Yes. Wow. Goodness, that's I can't believe it's been that long. All right, so what? What was the what? What was the uh, reasoning behind it? Well, you know, a lot of it was probably spurred on by Georgia. They had started a few years before that um, and implemented, uh, you know, their public um, hunting uh, alligator hunting system, which was probably one of the first ones in a long time, you know, outside the traditional states of, of like Louisiana, maybe Texas, and, and, and certainly Florida. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that, that obviously caught the interest of a lot of sportsmen and women in the state, um, and possibly some legislators too. Um, then coupled along, along with that, the seemingly increasing number of nuisance alligator complaints that we were receiving uh, in a lot of cases, you know, alligators in, in places where people would, would, would fish, swim, congregate, you know, we're, we were sending agents to go remove these alligators, um, you know, so it was seen as, as a potential for, to allow some public recreation, public hunting of alligators, uh, one, because the population seemed to have gotten to the point where certainly it, it looked like it could support it, um, could also help help us out, uh, mm-hmm. as well as people who lived uh, near waterways uh, with maybe reducing some of the numbers. Even if you don't reduce the numbers, you, you know, alligators 
they tend to learn pretty quickly. And while those first couple of seasons, the alligator hunting may have been easy, so to speak, um, it, it's certainly not that way anymore. Not at and all. So they don't <laughs> hang around for you to, to, not to at ease all. the boat up to them. And, and, and we're going to get into the details of that in a minute, because our rules on, on how we're allowed to hunt them are a little bit different than what you see on SWAT people. Okay. Right. And, and so, but, but I want to get into that in, in just a second, but I'm, I'm curious as to why we hunt them the month of September. So here in South Carolina, just so the listeners know is alligator season. Uh, well, before we actually, before we do that, let's talk about the lottery. All right. Let's okay. yeah. Let's, t- let's talk about that. So right now, this is May when we're recording this yes. and in the month of May, you, you go to the South Carolina DNR website and you apply for an alligator tag and it is a lottery and you pay $10 to put your name in the house. Yes. yes. Okay. So you explain it for me. Right. Currently our system, it, it opens and it has opened since we've started on, on May 1st and it goes to June 15th. So you have, you know, a month and a half to apply. Um, and these are individual applications. We have some lottery hunts where you can apply as a party or a group. Uh, but these are all individual applications. So you go in, you know, and, and you you register or you find yourself if you're already in our licensing system and you submit an application and we have four hunt units um, that are divided up amongst the low country of the state. And so you pick any one or all um, of the hunt units that you, you'd care to hunt in. And, you know, you pay your $10, it's a non-refundable application fee and all that money is earmarked to the alligator management program. So, so that's good. It does, just doesn't go into the general fund. You well, know, let me clarify that when you pick your four areas, you're, you're kind of ranking them in the order yes. in which you hope to, in other words, I want to hunt PD first, low yes. country second, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes. You, you're able to rank your choices. Okay. Um, likewise, you can pick one spot, two spots, three spots, or, or all four. Um, if you so choose, uh, you know, although you might get chose for one of them. So, you know, we, we do caution people don't put a place you don't want to go because right. it inevitably somebody calls out, well, I really didn't want to go there. So, well, you put it down. Um, that happened to me twice. Yeah. <laughs> and now I know the area so well, right. that's my number one choice. Sure. You know? <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, you know, next year we're actually going to probably push those, those sign up dates later because we have a new licensed vendor. And if you go on online to, uh, to apply now, you should notice it's markedly easier to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had to do that uh, end it on June 15th to break for our fiscal year um, because of the system we had in the past couldn't, couldn't seem to handle the change from one fiscal year to another. But anyway, the new system is so far has been great. Um, they can manage simple financial calculation, calculations to know what fiscal year to put things in. So, so next year we'll actually push it, probably start opening June 1st um, to July 15th, which is a little bit closer to the season. Okay. Plus we don't have to do so much, you know, checking on the back end because their system is a lot better um, that we hopefully could run the, the lottery in just a couple of days after we close. Okay. Um, so it, it was a lot of checking to make sure you didn't have multiple uh, customer IDs. And it was, it was, it was a hassle to try to make sure you got all the points you were entitled to. Okay. So let's look at some numbers real quick. How many applicants do you normally get and how many licenses do you issue? Uh, last year we had 8,300 applicants, okay. which was an all time for high for us. Um, okay. You know, it, it'd been creeping up the last couple of years. Um, uh, for how many to, tags? For a thousand tags. Oh, wow. And, and okay. we get, you know, we probably get applications from 42, 43, 44 states. Okay. So there's approximately 8,300 as of last year. Yes. Applications for 1,000 tags. Yes. And um, if you're not drawn, do you build points or do you not? You do. Every time you're not selected, you're, you're issued a preference point. So that automatically puts you ahead of, uh, you know, the following year of anybody who has no points. Okay. And so currently it takes roughly at least three points to be considered. Yeah. Um, at least if we look at last year's applicants, um, if you had three points, um, you had about a 67% chance of being drawn. Okay. Okay. 
Now, some guys just, but because it is random draw, it is yes. computer generated random draw. And so you may get drawn your first year or second. No, but no you will not get drawn the first year. Okay. Uh, because right. it's, it's, while it's random, it's also preference based. So what the, what the computer essentially does it, it, when it goes to run the, the lottery, it assigns everybody some gigantic, gigantic, uh, random number. Okay. And so then it, then it takes random numbers and it sorts them from largest to smallest, but it also sorts from who has the most preference points. So it'll okay. first start choosing from the largest random number and the largest number of preference points, and then start going down till it picks a thousand. Okay. So and once it picks have, a thousand, you're done. Right. And so like last year, if you had less, if you had less than three points, you were not going to get in. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, so the, it's kind of like what I do on my Western States hunts is I know I can't go this year, but I'm going to go right. ahead and get a point. Exactly. Yes. And I know I can't go next year, but I'm going to go ahead and get my second right. point. And now, all right. So now I can draw anytime I want to. Yes. Right. Uh, can you just buy a point? You can, you can put a points only application and, okay. and, and again, with our new vendor, you can go in in there and you can change it. You can change it to, you know, where you choose sites or if you go back and say, Hey, my plans have changed. You know, I plan on going somewhere this fall during the season. So I want to change it back to a point. You can go back online in our system, our current system now and change it to a points only application. Okay. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. All right. So now to my next question, why, why is the season open in September? Well, I think originally that was based on, uh, we have a private lands program too, that, that that's completely separate. And they've actually been doing that one um, since the nineties, mid nineties. Um, and that's, that's for uh, large landowners that have significant amounts of alligator habitat. Um, so their season had traditionally started September 1st. And I think that was based on, you know, when alligators nest, you know, roughly in June and, and you know, their, their uh, gestation period is about 65 days or so, give or take. And so that, that ran from June till about August, depending on when they nest. And so the female tends to guard the nest or at least that she also helps uh, dig out hatchlings from the nest, you know, to help get them out. Mm -hmm. And so we were, we we're trying to make sure, you know, they could pull off the nest, you know, get hatchlings, at least get them out before we started coming into a season. Okay. All right. So they, so they nest in June, approximately 65 days. Yeah. Incubation. Just like everything. There's, there's some variability there, but yeah, right. roughly and right. roughly two months later, two, two months and a few days later. Um, okay. So why is it a four week season? Not a five, six, seven. Is it because it starts it, to get cold and the alligators start to uh, get uh, harder to find? It's a, it's a little bit of that. You know, it, it's, it's also, we do want to be conservative. Um, even though we're issuing a thousand tags, our hunters take, I think last year's 310, 311. Um, they take anywhere from uh, 325 to 365 every year. Um, and so we do want to stay a little bit on the conservative side. Um, and, and things do start to cool off a little bit later. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so it was just, you know, people that are going to go have, have time to go. And, and that goes, actually, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to, to a question I wrote down. Cause you made a comment to me right after the season opened, I was writing a story about alligators and about alligator season. Everybody was fascinated with it. And you made a comment to me. And forgive me if I'm misquoting you here, but it was something like, if you make a mistake managing alligators, it takes a generation to correct it because they're so slow growing. Is that correct? Yeah. And, you know, unlike, you know, everybody's kind of used to deer in a couple of years, you know, you could, you could kind of mess that up and, and give them a couple of years and, and you know, you're, you're sort of back to where you were, uh, at least to a degree. You know, but with alligators, and, and a lot of it also depends on where you're at. And of course, as you start to move up, uh, up to the northern parts of their range, you know, productivity uh, starts to slow down, mm -hmm. you know, so, so even in our, our parts of the, the world, um, you know, it could be anywhere from eight to 12 years for a male to become mature. Females may even be a little bit longer than that. Um, so there's this, this real delay, mm -hmm. you know, unlike with deer, you know, year and a half, you're back to, to, right. to, to breeding state. Right. And so, you know, it's just one of those things. So, so because that they're, 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 they're not only long lived, but they're, they're slow growing. So, you know, we've tried to err to a degree on, on the, the side of caution. 
Right. Now in South Carolina, you can legally take an alligator that's four feet long or bigger, correct? Correct. So that's pretty small. It is. And, and I think people think four feet, that's big, but yeah, when you get them in your hand, it, it's like, it's like an 11 know, pound alligator, maybe it's like a know? three and a half foot tail and a head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so to your comment about, uh, it takes them a long time to become mature and we, and we, they're slow growing. Why don't we just increase the size from four foot to six foot? Uh, and, and that leads into the question of how slow growing are they really? You know, so how old right. is a seven foot alligator, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. Well, again, you know, seven foot alligator may be eight years old. It may be 12 years old. It may be, you know, depending on how product, how, how much productivity is in, the, in where they grew up, mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so there's a lot of variability in growth, you know, early on, they grow fairly quick. Uh, but as they get, they get older, that really slows down. And so, mm -hmm. you know, eight foot alligator could be. 10 years old it could be 17 years old depending on where it's at so there's a lot of just kind of uh, unknowns you know there's no no real set okay at you know eight foot it's exactly 10 years old yeah so there's a there's a lot of variation in that okay now um, and, and i i think not to interrupt you but i think we chose four foot because you know the smaller animals are are, are fairly plentiful Mm -hmm. um you know relatively speaking and it's also one of these things that as you said they're small they look small yeah and so you know it's 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 almost hard to mess that up you know if you start if you push it up to, to five and six feet you know some people may be shooting if they're shooting with crossbows and that thing you know they may put a lethal hit on the alligator and pull it up and all of a sudden it's five and a half feet not six feet even though it yeah. kind of looked big yeah and so it's kind of those one of those things the small alligators look small yeah that's um, true Good and so point. it's a little there's there's a lot of fudge factor in there so so it's real hard to kind of mess that in on the low end yeah yeah that makes and that makes perfect sense having having done it quite often because even when i don't draw i still go with other people just because yeah. it's just because it's fun and and, and, and they are, these four foot alligators, they look small. Yes. I mean, their heads are, are not much bigger than your fist. Right. 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 And so why would I, you know, why would I take that with my hundred dollar tag? Cause if you get drawn, it costs a hundred bucks to get your license. Correct. It we does. forgot. Yeah. We forgot to add that part yeah. in there. So, so there's that. Now I, I have taken two, um, been drawn four times, taken two, uh, both of them were just a shade over nine feet. And I was wondering, um, is, is there a way to age them? Is, are there other like growth rings on their scoots or, not, or scales? Not really. or, yeah, that's what I was afraid of. You know, because, you know, you could try to match them up to growth curves, but even that, that's, that's a lot of averaging there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the first one I got was nine feet and it was skinny. Yes. It was very disappointing. <laughs> I mean, seriously, when they right. came up out of the water, I was like, this thing is just, it, it couldn't have been 25 inches around. You know, it was very, right. very skinny, but long. The second one was more in proportion to what you would think right. a nine footer should be a, little, right. a, a good bit fatter and so forth. And both of them were in the PD region. So it's just kind of interesting. Uh, and there's, you know, there's a lot of food there in the South Santee and in right. the, uh, what's that river where the pole yard is? That's not, that's, the South the, that's yeah, that's the Santee. That's there's a North and South Santee. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's where I was in those rice patties all back up in there and those old right. canals and everything. Um, so that, that they were basically in the same general area, but when, sure. again, one was really, really skinny. I guess it's kind of like people. You got skinny people and heavy people, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And where do you know if they were male or female? Uh, both of them were males. Okay. Yeah. Both of them were males. Um, so the bigger ones, though, from what I understand in my research, really come out of the Santa Cooper Lake areas. Is that right? They can, although there, there are some some big ones that come out of some other areas. Um, okay. uh, but yeah, yeah, we tend to maybe see the the very large ones out of those those two lakes. Mm -hmm. um, but but on occasion there'll be some some eleven and twelve some from some of the other locations as yeah. well. All right. So which which leads to this? Uh, I think about as big as an American alligator gets that climbs the thirteen foot range, give or take yes. a couple of inches. Uh, and do we keep records on these of like like we do deer where we have a record book? Do we keep like a record book on, on alligators? Well, we, we 
we sort of do. We do with the, or at least we keep records of the self-reported harvest under the public lands or the public harvest, which we're talking right. about here. Right. Um, you know, we've had a couple of our agents, contracted control agents to say they've, they've, they've called a 14 footer um, and that may or may not be true. Um, but we don't know, you know, we don't have, you know, the records to go back to the fifties and sixties to say right, somebody right. didn't kill one larger. Right. So we, we've always, or at least, at least I, when I was doing the, the alligator reports, now we actually have an alligator project leader. I still, I still deal and handle the, the lottery aspects of it, but, okay. but we actually yeah. have some, a couple of other alligator people that are on the coast now, but I've always reported it as for this hunting season, these are right. the self-reported right. because I don't want to. I don't want to to say that's the largest ever taken because that may not be true. Right, right. But you know, as a sportsman, I would I would say that because uh, I do nuisance wildlife also, right, with the USDA, right. is that if you're keeping records, it should be only for the hunting public hunting right. season, not for the you know if I am shooting uh, urban deer and I kill a 180 sure, inch buck, sure. that shouldn't <laughs> count. Right. right. Same thing with alligators. Um, right. But I would like to see this just as a personal note here is if we're going to keep records on alligators, it should be length plus girth. So that because that way you get a 12 footer that's a thousand pounds or you right. get a 13 footer that's 400 pounds. Why does a 13 footer win? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah. I mean, we've... Yeah, um, the only issue with that we we might have with that is is you know we don't have it's self reported. We don't necessarily have yeah we don't it's yeah. it's a little easier to take the the bass to a certified scale than it is to take it <laughs> that's out and that's why I'm going by girth and not weight. Right, you know, if, right. if you measure halfway between the legs, you know, at this fattest spot then or do a skull like they do with bears you just get a skull right. measurement and that's it you know right. which i think is one of the coolest things i have in my in my office is my alligator skulls i just right. love those those it's a european type skull yes. mount but just the, just the skull itself it just looks so cool i get so many comments on it um and and i recommend uh, i had a buddy of mine try to do that himself and of course when he bowled it down he had a pile of bones right <laughs> Get yeah. your taxidermist to do that for you. It's worth every penny. I could tell you that. Yeah, I think we have a uh, Mark Barra, one of our retired biologists, actually one of the first people to work on alligators in this state, you know, as a biologist back in the 70s. Um, he, he sent on his, uh, sent us on his, uh, or sent along his, his cold maceration technique. I think we've got it pushed up on our website. So if you want to okay. yeah. go through yeah. that. Because yeah, I think when you start to boil, it, you know, things start to break down. You end up with a bunch of tiny little bones and teeth uh, yes. everywhere. Yes, you do. And there's a lot of bones in an alligator skull. A lot of bones. Um, we we alluded to Jay about the the method of take that is you. I think it's unique to South Carolina. Um, you would know the answer to that, as opposed to what we see on TV and on hunting shows and so forth. Let's dive into that very in in a lot of detail. Sure. Um, and, and kind of dispel some myths about the way that we hunt alligators and the way that we're legally able to take them. Um, and I want to say at first that I am so glad we don't allow shooting high powered rifles over open water. Right. Um, okay, so. And, and, <laughs> and that, yeah, that, that came up, I think, early in some of the deliberations in the, in the yeah. legislature, but uh, uh, certainly cooler heads prevail because you know, it's, it's one thing to, to uh, get an alligator boat side and then discharge, a, you know, a, a pistol and to dispatch it. It's another thing to, you know, have a 308 or something right. you know, at a hundred yards across the lake and it, it bounds and skips off the water and goes another mile or so. That's uh, right. To, to That's points right. unknown. That's right. So, so we can't bait for alligators ahead of time. No. Like you see on TV with swamp people, we can't, no. Uh, I'll let you explain the methods in which we are allowed here in South Carolina to, to take alligators. Right. And, and, and you know, in the small, small people thing that, you know, that's, that's really a commercial for lack of a better term, it's commercial fishing activity almost. Mm -hmm. um, it is. It and, is. And, and, and yeah, because they have so many alligators, it is a method of, of kind of controlling numbers as well. Um, yeah. You, know, but you ours, see some of those guys have, uh, have 400 tags. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a crazy amount. 
and they're probably working for several properties and and uh but yes it's yes. it's a it's a strictly commercial activity you know where ours is is more of a structured recreational type activity that that you know does accomplishes a few things for us as well but uh you know so so our techniques are to try to maximize um getting the alligator you know the other thing about shooting free swimming alligators is you may not recover the animal that's right and then uh, you know did you miss it did you not and so of course when people don't recover they say well i missed that one and they're going to go on and you know after they miss four or five and you know a week or so later four or five come, come floating to the surface because they're dead mm -hmm. you know then and then that you know couple that with several hundred alligator hunters doing that and you've got a big problem on your hands right um, so our, our and, and we actually modeled it after uh, a lot of ours after George's um, and, and they do require if I'm not unless they've changed it, they require attaching some kind of line uh, or device to the animal and getting it boat side before it can be dispatched. Right. So that could be, you know, it could be a snatch hook. Those are fairly popular. It could be a harpoon that has, you know, a, kind of like a, a bow fishing point on it as well as attached to a rope mm -hmm. um, could be a variety of bow fishing setups whether that's a, a crossbow or a bow um, and then you can even if you're able to probably can't now you probably could early on sneak up uh, close enough to it and put a snare over on a pole you know with a rope attached right and, and then catch it that way but again you, you have to attach some kind of line and get control get it both side get another line on it to where you're not going to lose it once you dispatch the animal. Right. And that's, that's what we're mainly concerned with that you, yeah. that you retrieve the animal. I think the, if I'm and correct me on this, if I'm wrong, but I think the wording in the manual is the alligator must be restrained and subdued prior to dispatch. Right. Or well, subdued is, 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 well, is, is okay. that's probably a, a good idea, you know, bringing <laughs> a, a green alligator to the boat you know, will get kind of exciting. <laughs> it does um, really quickly. I can tell you that. <laughs> but you know, and, 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 and kind of the bigger are that probably the faster they are to wear down, but uh, you know, they do eventually wear down and, and it makes it a little bit safer, right. relatively speaking to handle them. Right. Uh, but you know, again, our, our idea was to get a line on it, bring it both side, maybe even get a, a, a snare around us, around his neck or snout or get an, a, even a rope around it to where you get, better control especially right. if you're using something like a snatch hook because it doesn't really embed deep into the skin it just kind of lodges itself there yeah and they can roll off of that very easily very yeah. easily and that's how i've gotten both of mine i'm I, yeah. i've i've hunted with the bow missed a giant alligator at about i don't know eight feet shot right over his back um, and then I just put it down and grabbed my snatch hooks. Right. And right. that's how I've gotten both of mine. And, and with the people I'm with, we, we have been more successful with that, uh, than with other, and then when we get them close, we harpoon them to right. get a, because right. get that gets us on. a bigger yeah. line yes. onto it. And what the harpoon does for the listener, just so we understand is that it actually is a, uh, it's a very sharp, um, was it tungsten or some kind of really hard steel or metal object yeah. and when it goes into the alligator the actual harpoon comes back off and the the point turns sideways and lodges under the skin and their skin is so tough it won't pull out right, right. all right and then what we do is we tie it to the boat cleat of the boat yeah so that he can't you know and he's going right. to if it's a big and he's going, you think he's going to pull the boat underwater. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's, it gets Western really quick and it's so much fun. Um, yeah. And that's, that's how we've done it a few times. Other times we just get multiple snatch hooks in them. You know, they got three yeah. people yeah. with, with rods and the person with the license is the only one allowed to actually dispatch the animal. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the way it's kind of written. Um, probably in practice that may be, um, depending on who's doing what in the boat. gray area right there. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it, it, it could be that if you're the, the permit holder and you've got him by a rope and you're holding onto the rope, you might, might say, Pete, Pete, do something with the alligator. <laughs> quickly, um, yeah. quickly. Um, you know, so there's a little leeway there, but yeah, the yeah. idea is that the, 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 
the primary permit holder is the one doing the majority of the work. Right, right. And and to be legal, it has to be either a handgun or a bang stick. Yes. That, okay. Yeah, and that that's also to to um, let's let's just say keep the honest people honest. You know, a really big alligator at you know fifty yards, and you know it'd be real easy to grab the rifle, perhaps. Yes. Yes. Um, and not only that, for safety reasons as well. Yes, yes, because there's a lot going on when you get one yeah. hooked up. It just is. Um, and you can hunt them 24 hours a day. And and yeah. I, I actually got one at night and one in the daytime. It was it was we had hunted all night, and yeah. it was it was dawn. I would say I don't I don't know Jay if it was actually legal sunrise, but it was we didn't need lights anymore. Okay, right. you could see really well. Uh, and, and he was just, we got lucky. We came around the corner very slow and there he was, and I was able to get a hook in him. And, uh, we use these, uh, 14 out treble hooks, um, that, that have a weight on the shank, 200 pound braid on surf fishing rods is what we're using. And there's, there's pros and cons of 200 pound braid. The con is you're not going to break it. Right. You get hung up. You are <laughs> you're, you're going to lose a lot of line okay right <laughs> there's just no way to the the good is or the pros of it is he's not going to break it either right at right. least we haven't had that happen right um and it's uh it's it's a uh it's a lot of fight it, it really is uh it's like as a friend described it one time he said i feel like i'm hooked to a buick at a drag strip because <laughs> they will they will absolutely fight like nothing you've ever hooked into before and depending on where you are if it's open water, then you have, you can just follow them and wear them out and tire them right. down. But if you're in a Creek or one of these canals that we're in, you don't know what's under the water that they go sure. in there. Sure. And uh, it's amazing that they can just sit on the bottom. Right. And you have two grown men. That's not, I'm not the strongest guy in the world, but we're pretty strong and we are pulling them with everything we can and can't even think about moving them. Right. You know, you, and you swear you're hung until it starts right, to swim right. off. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, it's like, okay, we're on a stump or what? And then it starts to swim. Yeah. And it <laughs> pulls you away. And it pulls you away. It pulls you away. <laughs> it, it is a lot of fun. Um, some tips and tactics. When an alligator is, what's it called when they just got their head out of the water and they're, and they're just laying there? What, I mean, is, it, is there a term for that? Uh, if there is, I can't recall it right at the second. Okay. Um, it, it's easy to picture an alligator head. I'm, yeah. I'm using my hand here for, for Jay to see it. And the alligator is laying flat out behind it. That is not how they, it took many years of understanding these things yeah. of hunting them to see, but their, their body is 90 degrees to their head. It's hanging straight down and their head is up. So if you're trying to cast a travel hook beyond the alligator and, and bring it by and hook them, it's really hard to do right. without spooking the alligator. Yeah. really hard to do because the position their body is almost 90 degrees to the surface and it there's a lot of luck involved there is and then you know sometimes especially if, if they're uh a swimming now sometimes they, they will be positioned and more of their back will be showing yes um, and then sometimes if they're they're swimming even if they're just barely going you know the back may be right up. maybe not necessarily out of the water but close to it yeah. But but you're right. You've got to get her across of it, uh, get across the animal, and then you've got to get it to to the snatch hook to kind of catch on something. Yeah. yeah. Whether it be you know between you know at the junction where the arm meets the body, um, or, or if you just happen to get one of the points of the treble hook up under a skew that, that just kind of hangs on. Yeah. That where that's where it gets a little iffy when it starts to roll because it may yeah. it may just it comes roll right, right off out. of it. It comes. If you're right lucky out. to roll the other way and roll the line up into it. Yes. Yes. We hooked one, uh, my buddy, Greg and I were one, one year, his tag, I think we were down in the Edisto region. I don't know which zone that was, but it was in that, I think we we're in the Edisto river. Um, it was his tag and I was tagging along and he hooked it at the base of the tail. And that was, oh my goodness. It, it, I don't know how long the fight was Jay, but it felt like two hours. It was well right. over an hour. Okay. Before we got this thing. And it was, uh, it was another, I think his was not quite nine feet, but it was a good, healthy, healthy right. alligator. And that was one heck of a fight because we had him by the power horse, by the, you know, by his right. power part. And every time he'd swing that tail to move, you're almost being pulled into the water. <laughs> you know, um, another note here is tie your rod to the boat 
<laughs> also because they will pull it out of your hands. We learned that in an expensive way. So wow. we now we have a, a a rope on the cleat that is clipped to the rod while you're fighting. It's a lot of rope, you know, so you got right, room right, to right, move right. around. But that way, <laughs> if they pull it out of your hands, you can still grab the rope and pull it in and pick back up where you left off or at least retrieve your your rod and reel at the same time. You mentioned crossbows. I, I'm curious uh, about the success rate of people using crossbows for alligators. Do you even know? I, I, I don't know. I'd have to look. We 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 asked them what their their primary um, method of 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 getting the first line is, but what we usually get is a whole bunch of answers. Uh, <laughs> we try to tell them that to just put one, but they'll put you know harpoon, crossbow, snatch yeah. hook. So you never really yeah. know which one's first. Yeah. Um, but I know people do them. Uh, probably even more so, um, have some type of bow fishing setup. Um, I, I think people who've probably done it kind of like yourself a couple of times probably rely more on the snatch hook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just yeah. because, it, you know, like I said, when you're, you're, you're either trying to shoot a bow or a crossbow at a very slim profile in the water, mm-hmm. it's sure a lot easier to, to crawl, to, uh, throw a hook over the top of it. Right. Um, because you got a lot of a lot of leeway to miss. We tried the crossbow uh, one year. We took it most of the season, and we were so uncomfortable with a cocked, loaded yeah. crossbow <laughs> in the boat right. with all this going on. I mean, and we are like, you know, we're in a bow fishing boat, so there's rails and stuff right, and everything. Right. But and we're uh, who's responsible for the crossbow and being careful and making sure that right. it, and it just didn't feel safe to us. We we ended yeah. up taking it back to the truck and just went back with the rods. Um, we were thinking because we had so much trouble getting the hook in animals, not this is before we learned about how they're laying in the water, right. that let's get the bolt in them or the arrow, and then we can go from there. Right. And, right. Uh, but we just were not comfortable going through all this stuff at night. A lot of times yeah. with a loaded cocked and loaded crossbow, you know, um, and so we just abandoned that and we use mostly the, the snatch hooks and harpoon. Yeah, we we like the harpoon for the second line a lot, uh, and I will say this: you got to throw it really hard yeah. to get it into an animal. I mean, you really got to throw it. Now, are the, you using it as a kind of a a, a jab stick, or are you actually throwing it? Well, it, uh, we. I mean, you could do both. Yeah, we've done both depending on how close they were. You know, if they're just out of where you feel like you can get good good pressure by pushing it in where yeah. we just throw it really hard and we're trying to get below the back right at that line where the, uh, the belly scales and the, right. I guess they're called scoots and the, and the top ones come together. That's where you're trying to get. Cause the top is so oh, hard. Yeah. 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 The, the top is so hard or the neck. If you can get them, if you can get in the yeah, neck, yeah, yeah. then that's pretty good. Um, I also want to talk about the dispatch and where to, where to shoot them. Um, I have heard Jay. So all my life about, Alligator brains are so small. I can't believe all they do is think until I actually had the skull in my hand of a nine foot alligator. And I saw how small the brain really (laughs) is. And it was, oh, it's a ball bearing. Maybe, maybe, uh, well, what we back in our age called shooter marbles, you know, the cat eye marbles. Uh, so what is it? Maybe three quarter of an inch in diameter. That's it. And that's what you got to hit when you're shooting or the brainstem. Yeah, and and yeah, right, and the brain stem, and there's some arteries that run back there. But uh, you know, and and back when we used to do, um, we used to do alligator hunting seminars for the first couple of years, mm-hmm. um, where we'd have a, a couple of presentations, and we actually had vendors come up from Florida uh, because you know at the time it was like, where do you get alligator hunting gear? Yeah, um, exactly. And and so we'd have we'd have vendors come up. Um, we also have a few taxidermists show up, um, processors show up and some of the early ones we'd have, you know, a hundred or so people in the, in the room and, and we'd go over the, the legal methods of take and, and what you had to do, um, and all that. And then plus they got to see the equipment that they, they might need. Right. Um, right. and so, right. so that was, uh, you know, always something to, to show them. 
you know, and we try to stress because I think a lot of people think, okay, we'll just shoot them between the eyes, you know, and it's, it's, it's pretty bony at that spot. Uh, and I can't tell you how many times I've had people call and say, we tried to shoot it between the eyes and I had to shoot three or four times and it wasn't doing nothing. You know, so we try, we are trying to teach them, you know, just behind the skull, you know, where, yeah. where kind of the neck and the skull meet, you know, there, there's some, some orders that run there, but you know, the, the brain stems right there, you know, to dispatch it. And even some of the guides who uh, would come up from Florida, you know, sometimes would, would, would just use a knife, a really right. sharp knife and, and plunge it in and, and sever the, sever the, the spinal cord at that, at that juncture. Right. 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 Um, we, we have learned um, 22 Magnum is all you need. Yes. in the right spot. Uh, I killed my first one with a 38. And from then on, we just use 22 Magnums, uh, and a revolver, just a 22 Magnum, just put it because you're shooting, you know, inches away. Right. You're actually ba basically right. touching the animal when you pull the trigger yeah. and man, that blast is enough. I don't know what that's called. The percussion, I guess, right. of the shot is enough to really do the damage. And it's, and it, it's instantaneous. Um, I think that's what they use in swamp people. 22 magnums i think they use 22s yeah. Uh, yeah when they you know of course they're using set hooks and and you know baited lines and but still yeah. they're pulling on both side and they're just popping with 22 yeah and that's all you need in the right spot just a 20 uh, i like the 22 magnum a little bit more oomph than a yeah. 22 yeah. long rifle yeah. um or it maybe even a 17 hmr if you wanted to do that uh but we we're using the 44 grain uh, blunt nose 22 magnum is what we're using and, and it you seems know, to work really well and, and <laughs> You know, you, you probably want to make sure you have somebody with that's comfortable with firearms to, you know, if you're using a pistol, because I have seen a few, few pictures of, of, uh, bullet holes in boats, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that people have said, you know, cause you know, it's, it's exciting and there's a lot going on, a lot going on at the side of the boat and you mm -hmm. get somebody walking up and, and is a little nervous about you know, the, is the alligator going to hit me or what? And yeah. next thing you know, they've, they've, they've punched a hole in the boat. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll say this, that, that the alligator gets pretty, pretty rambunctious when you get him inside the boat, but they quit yeah. pretty quick. Right. So it, it's one of those things uh, that if you're just patient and, it, and when I, yeah. when I mean, just a few seconds, often he's going to stop thrashing. He's right. going to give you the shot and then you just, right. pow, and it's done. It's over with, they roll over typically and, and that's it. Um, we, we have done things like, we're just going to leave him in the water for about 10 minutes just to make sure at least he'll drown <laughs> if he's not dead, you know, but now we just immediately tape him up right, right, and we, right. and we use, uh, um, electrical tape and duct tape around yeah. the jaws, tape it shut, pull his hands behind his, his arms and feet together over his back, tape it up. And then we drag him into boat. Um, and, and that's pretty much it. it pretty yeah, much. It's, it's a good idea to tie the feet up just in case. Yeah. Um, yeah. because you know, the, the one thing you don't want, um, is to turn around and see him climbing out of the back of the boat. <laughs> no, you don't. I'd rather see him climbing out the boat than coming at me though. <laughs> I can tell you that there will be holes in the boat if that happens. <laughs> oh goodness. So if you want to process an alligator, um, I've always taken mine to a process. I've never tried to, to do that myself, but I understand the legs and the tail is really where you get the meat from. Right. And, and even, even some of the jowls right on the, the okay. depending on okay. the size of the animal. Okay. Uh, but it's slow going. Yeah. Um, you know, unlike deer and some other things where you can kind of grab, grab a fistful of hide and, and really pull and start pulling, pulling off of yeah. it, it, it. It doesn't like to do that. So you're, yeah. you're, you're slowly kind of filleting away the skin yeah or the, yeah. the hide from the meat as you right. go and it's just it's just really slow going yeah and we we can legally sell the hide in south carolina correct um uh, yes um so okay. long, you know make sure everything's tagged and, and in those sure. cases you're probably going to need a CITES tag right um, right but you can legally sell it you can okay. you, okay. you just you can't sell the meat but you can sell it you can sell the hide right uh, and the meat's actually pretty good i mean i right. i can't say that i would uh uh, I wouldn't turn it down. Uh, right. I find it to be kind of bland actually. Um, and kind of chewy. I wouldn't call it tough, but just kind of yeah. chewy. We, we cut them into little three quarter inch nuggets and just fry them like I do walleye nuggets right. and, and bass nuggets like that. That's it, how a lot of people will cube them first. Okay. Oh, uh, just cause yeah, it does kind of break some of that. that up. 
Right. And run it through a cuber that. and then then cut off pieces of frying. And I, I, I kind of like call it fishy chicken. I guess that's what you call them, Jay. Commercial processors. Is there a list on the DNR website as we to where to take it? All right. We, we have a list of vendors on our website that, that we, we update annually. And that includes not only where you can buy uh, alligator hunting equipment, but it also has taxidermists. It has guides on it. It also has processors. You know, so we do have a number of processors across the state. Um, I'm not sure if I can say there's one in every, eh, maybe there is one in every, every hunt unit. Yeah. Um, so if you don't want to take, you know, forever to skinning it, and then a lot of times, you know, it may be whether it's two or three in the morning or whatever, and you're tired. And uh, but we do have a number of processors where you can go and you can leave the alligator with them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's they, worth the they're money, probably going to right. It's and worth it, the money. And, 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 you know, some of them, you know, you can make sausage, you can have other things made into them, other products made into them. Um, you know, sometimes you can, you can kind of give them the hide, maybe to help offset some of the cost, perhaps. Um, I actually did that with a taxidermist. Uh, I swapped yeah. the hide out for my, for my skull mount. And that was great. Yeah. It was a win-win from, right. for, for him right. and me, you know, uh, he got the hide from the processor right down the street and uh, three months, four months later, I went and picked up my skull. Right. Uh, it was a win, and, win, win. Right. But yeah, for those people, especially if you're not familiar with uh, skinning an alligator or how long it's going to take, you know, you can, you know, and it's one of these things you only get drawn every couple of years. So if it's a couple hundred dollars, uh, which it will be, um, yeah. you know, it's probably a good idea to, to drop them off and let somebody who who's very skilled at, at doing that kind of handle all that for you. Right. Right. That's how the, and you're, and you're also helping the industry, right? Cause that, right. That's how they make their living. You paid $110 to get to go. That's just for the license, the application right. and the license. And then who knows how much you spend actually on equipment and going. Right. Or if you um, pay a guide to, to go. So, you know, we do have a number of guides. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about that. I had that on my list here of uh, uh, guides in South Carolina. There's a list on the website. Do you have it, to like pass a test to be a guide or you can just say, Hey, I'll take you and charge people to, to, to No, go. you could have Pete Rogers guide service tomorrow <laughs> and, and you, could, you could start up, but no, we, we don't, we don't have currently in, in, in our laws, we don't have anything that, you know, designate what an alligator guide is. So, so right. really, um, if you call yourself one, you're one. How about that? <laughs> I bet people listening to this are going to be printing out business cards <laughs> on the really, really quickly. Uh, I do know a couple that have done really, really well. Kevin Davis at Black's Camp on uh, Lake Moultrie yeah. has done really, really well. Because, yeah. uh, I mean, he fishes 300 days a year. He sees alligators sure. all the sure. time. So he knows sure. when season comes around and he knows where to go. Yeah, there are several that I have seen out doing it. My my buddies and I just do it ourselves. We don't, yeah. we, we yeah. haven't hired a guide. And uh, we have thought about doing it in the region where we get drawn all the time, which is uh, traditionally the PD region, because we have been there golly, eight or nine years in a row because of our group, one right. or two of us always draw. And so we just yeah. go together and we make a, right. you know, we make a, a, a four day weekend out of it. And we usually get to tags field in that amount of time. And, right. and, uh, we kind of know the area really, really well now. And yep. we know uh, we're wasting our time of this creek. This is, this one's <laughs> worth going and all that kind of stuff and other tactics that I won't share on the air. Sure. sure. <laughs> You know, another thing we didn't really talk about is the, the, the kind of party hunt nature of it. You know, the winner, the, the, the permit and tag holder, you are allowed to, to bring helpers or assistants, I think, as we call it in our, our alligator hunting guide. Mm -hmm. um, so long as everybody is, has a, a state hunting license, um, they're allowed to go in and help and assist because it's mm -hmm. one of these things, you know, we don't expect a, a single individual to go out there and, you know, go and, and catch and haul a 12 foot alligator in, in the boat. Right. 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 Uh, without some assistance. Right. Um, and so we do, we do allow, you know, party release. There's no, right. There's no specified number, you know, obviously you want to be safe and only well, have, well, I guess it would be whatever you can legally carry in your boat. Sure. Sure. Right. Uh, and, and I want to say this too, I've, I've had my hunting license since I was back then, I think it was 13 when you had to get it. Uh, I've been checked by game wardens three times, all right? Twice alligator hunting. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, you yeah. will be checked. Yeah. And, the, and the thing <laughs> is, it also coincides, um, at least the start coincides with shrimping 
shrimp baiting season. Oh, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, yeah. yeah. And so they, officers, you know, ordinarily would be in the water at that time because it, there's a fair amount of that activity that goes on. Yeah. So yeah. now they yeah. have two reasons to be in the water. Yes. And so, yeah, yeah your, your odds of getting checked are probably much higher during the alligator season than they yes. would be in any random weekend. Yes, and one of those times was actually because it starts at noon, second Saturday, September. And if you're using a public ramp, there will be a game warden there. Right. And and uh, we we typically use the pole yards as our launching grounds, and there there'll be uh, 15 boats, and right. the game warden will check everybody, <laughs> and we're waiting, and we're all checking our watches and our phones, <laughs> make sure, and finally he'll say, "All right, y'all can go." And oh, it's like a bass launch day. Yeah. Everybody's trying to get to that as if it matters, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Because <laughs> you're going to be there for 20 hours straight before you get one anyway, or or longer. Um, but the other time I was checked alligator hunting was about three in the morning. Wow. Yeah, yeah it really surprised us. We, uh, he came around the corner just slow and quiet, and boom, there we were, and there he was. <laughs> like, hey, fellas. Hey. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, you know, if, if you were trying to skirt things, you would, you would think that, you know, yeah. way in the middle of the morning, nobody'd be out there, but, and we were really, <laughs> and honestly, as a, uh, you know, as an outdoor writer, podcaster, et cetera, all these things, I, I really appreciate when they're yeah. doing that because it lets you know that you keep the illegal guys off the water, off the water. Uh, but the alligator hunting is just a, it's, it, it, it is a fun thing. All right. Let's talk about in closing here, just kind of wrap this up. How far north, and, you know, we're looking at South Carolina, you know, crooked, that's our low country. We'd look, you know, uh, diagonally, I guess it would be across the state. The The zones stop about Columbia. Right. Right. It, it, yeah, right. it, it essentially kind of follows the, the fall line in the state. Right. Um, I'm sure it, there's rogue alligators that meander just yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah, above yeah, it yes, and so yes, forth. They do. But we use that line because I'm guessing this is just strict. And then, and then we'll defer to the biologists here because that's where most of the water is and it's warmer and that's where most alligators are. It is where most of the alligators are. Like you said, you, you know, we'll get some that'll venture above that, but essentially we we've set it up to at least a historical range of alligators okay. in this state, which was tended to be along the fall line and now, towards the coast. Okay, now with the brackish water and salt water, where where all that you know, because in the fishing world you you have a salt water line, yeah, right where you can fish. But the alligators can tolerate salt water pretty well, can't they? They they can tolerate them for a period of time, and right. so they they will even even in some of these areas, some of these coastal marshes, they will get into to saltier water and and remain there and then come back out. Uh, but yeah, that we don't have a a salt water at least as far as alligators are concerned, a saltwater, freshwater dividing line that this is of any significance to the alligator. Jay, do you have anything else that you want to add to the alligator um, hunting in South Carolina? Yeah, one of, the, one of the things that, you know, I think this season, alligator hunting season has helped to do is without having this season, alligators were essentially seen as, you know, we just need to get rid of all of them. Yeah. You yeah. know, because you couldn't do nothing, couldn't hunt them, couldn't do nothing with them. And so at least now we have some, some people like you that, you know, look forward to alligator hunting season. Uh, it gave it some value. It took right, a nuisance exactly. animal. It took a exactly. nuisance animal and gave it some value. And, right. Because and, it, that's all it was, you know, back before mm -hmm. then it was strictly a nuisance animal. Y'all need to get rid of every one of them. Yeah. Um, now to where now we have, you know, processors, guides, you know, people selling equipment you know, all this other little cottage industries, you know, people coming and staying at fish camps and, and some right. of these campgrounds um, that, that may not be otherwise be there at that particular time. And so it has provided other value mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just being a new species on the landscape. Yes, it has. It has. And I think it's, it's, it's given me as someone who has participated in many hunts, a completely different opinion about the American alligator, not the, and honestly, I didn't even have an opinion before because I live in Greenville, right. right and the right. alligators down on the coast and I've never really see them that, that, that often except when I'm down there fishing. Sure. We will see some down there sure. because sure. we're right there in their areas, but, uh, it, it gave me an appreciation for the animal. And also I'm just, as I was saying earlier about their brain being so small, I am amazed at such a tiny brain can be that elusive. Right. I and, mean, and I they, really am. 
And, and again, the other thing that provided too, you know, this season provided, you know, and I may have mentioned it earlier, made fewer nuisance alligators because, and we even have Tom Murphy um, and some of those coastal communities. He's one of the longtime alligator researchers for a re- another retired biologist for SCDNR who, who was looking at catching previously nuisance or, or gators that would have probably been on the, on the hit list for removal Right. Actually catching them, handling them. I don't want to say rough them up, but handling them, releasing them back to the spot. And then they were, they learned. It's like, okay, yeah. we don't want to be around people anymore. That's given at least from, from a state agency standpoint, you know, that's helped us because we have fewer alligators that are, mm-hmm. they're following people hanging around places because there's probably very few of them, at least an alligator hunter hasn't given a shot at, or at least, you know, rode right. by, attempted to toss a line on, shined it during the middle of the night. And and, and so it, it has helped us in that sense. It has, it has. And, and I'll say as the season goes on, you can see the alligators getting a lot more skittish, yeah. a lot more difficult to approach. Uh, early in the season, you hit them with the light at night and they just, they just lay there. Right. Three days later, they immediately go down as soon as the light hits them. It's like, dang, so you got to shine over their head just a little bit, yeah. keep it off of them. And, and uh, it's, I mean, it's very quick how they adapt. It right. really is. Um, that's where we have started doing more daytime hunting because yes. they, they become so pounded at night and they become so elusive at night whereas the daytime they're used to seeing boats around and people around and people fishing and ignoring them and so we have found that don't ignore the daytime sure sure don't ignore that all right well jay thank you so much for this man this has been really really great conversation i really appreciate it i think it's been very educational i know it has for for me again it's a subject that i enjoy talking about and uh, and i'm looking forward to it so if you want to apply for the dnr South Carolina Department of Natural Resources Alligator Lottery. Well, that's a mouthful. It is. Go to scdnr.gov and uh, follow the links there, and it will walk you right through the process. It's a $10 application fee. If you haven't applied yet or before, don't have any preference points, be patient. Do it again next year this time. It's going to take about three years before you get drawn. But do like I do with some buddies. We all apply every year and one of us gets drawn every year. So we all get to go. Right. Right. And you can, you can, and the the website for that is dnr.sc.gov. And there should be a link on the homepage as as far as, you know, it says alligator water or alligator hunting. And it'll, it'll go to our page that has our alligator hunting guide. It has the the actual presentation we used to give at um, alligator seminars that kind of says everything and, 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 and you know visually it might be a little easier for some people to follow um but it's it's one of those things you know even if it's your first year applying find somebody who has applied just like you said and and we we do have some people that when they have three or four people they start to when they get close to being drawn someone will start doing the non-draw option where they're doing points only and, and try yeah. to try to stagger those so, they, so don't, they can go they don't draw four, four tags at one time right right, right exactly yeah yeah Jay, thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, Pete.